0: Welcome back to another water cooler. My name's Dave Maloli. I'm the host of the Realist Dentist podcast. If I'm going to talk a little bit about what drives me, what motivates me, why I'm so passionate about this, it really dates back about five years. Um, I was in startup mode. I was struggling with cash flow, um, had a newborn in the house, and my wife had a stroke, and it set me into a spiral, a deep, dark pit that it lasted for almost a few years. And then I had a breakthrough. And it was kind of a byproduct of strategy and um, a lot of research and a lot of desperation. But what I did was I promised myself that if I was ever able to climb out of this pit, I would never stop climbing. And I would develop strategies that would help other dentists as well. And so. That is the background behind this. The thing that's important also for me to share with people is that this isn't just one guy's theory. I've, I've worked with some master mentors. Um, I've, I've researched and dialogued with lots of high-performing dentists to find out what the common themes are, what makes them unique, and what makes them very similar. And all the things that we speak of uh, in these conversations are proven, drivers of that. A lot of times, it's well known that dentists get stuck in technician mode, thinking that one more piece of technology, one new procedure mix is going to create a breakthrough in their practice and their cash flow in their life, and that's not a real driver. What's a real driver is the subconscious of the leader, and if we can change the psychology of the leader, the skill sets and mindsets of a leader, we can change our organization. If we change our organization, we train change the patient experience We change the experience for the team and that's what really motivates me. So I just wanted to give you a background there. I'll do a little bit of a recap of the last few sessions, but this one is specific to courage. I love this one because usually when I'm in conversation with a dentist in the back of a room, after I'm done speaking uh, on a, on a consultation call on a coaching call, this is the thing that keeps people stuck. And um, what it seems to be is that as clinicians, we're rewarded for being very methodical, very, very recipe-based, having a system, having a, a, uh, the right materials, the right um, instruments, life, leadership, practice management, rewards courage. Clinical dentistry does not so much reward courage. Being a cowboy as a clinician can sometimes cost you mightily. And so we have to realize what our different roles are and what our different goals are. And if we can unlock some courage things, and I'll give you some strategies on how to do that, we can really start to see things take off. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that. The first thing I want to do is recap some of the things that we've already talked about in the last few sessions. These I consider the habits of high-performing dentists. This courage will be the fourth one. We'll get out to seven in the next few months. But accountability, very simple. Lots of dentists want to blame their team. They want to blame their patient. They want to blame the economy. They want to blame the community. That's fine, but it doesn't make you feel very good. And it's not very um, it's not being very resourceful. And it allows it gives your control over to other people. And if we've diffused our power and diffused our control out to other people, it's very hard to get results. So this, this guy is pointing the thumb. That's the opposite of pointing the finger. There's a universal truth that I believe is that I see in every dentist that I talk to. And it's that the, their practice is not limited by their opportunity. It's limited by its leader. And that's a very bitter pill to swallow sometimes. But once we can appreciate that, we can start getting to work with some of the systems, some of the leadership, creating vision and values and mission that really get a team to align and allow our practice to take off. Hand-in-hand with accountability is clarity. Clarity, to me, is the answer to a few very simple questions. What do I want? Why do I want it? And who do I have to become to get it? Those questions are very intentional because dentists tend to get stuck in the how, How do we do it? Very procedure-based. That, again, goes back to our clinical training and what we've been rewarded in the past. Leadership is different than that. If we figure out what we want and can communicate that to the team, if we can figure out why we want it and use that as a motivator, and then we have to start to level up because all real change has to happen at a subconscious level. And to change somebody's subconscious We have to change their stories, their identities, and beliefs. And that's why I put the how at the fourth position, because we can get really stuck in the how. If we're committed, and I'll talk to you a little bit more commitment and how that drives um, confidence. If we're committed, then we get resourceful. We'll figure out a way. We get to the point where there's, I will do whatever is required. And that's what was, what was my stance when I started my startup practice and the only reason it succeeded. But we have to know where we're going and be able to share that with our team. Um, and that's where, again, where I see a lot of dentists get stuck. They don't know what they want. So they chase other dentists' visions and versions of success and they end up in this very unfulfilling game because it's not their path. It's not what they're designed to do. It's not what they're encoded to do. And so spending the time to really figure out what we want, uh, play to our strengths is a really important time that we should spend with ourselves. The third one um, that we talked about just last month is the topic of energy. Energy is always a difficult conversation for me to have with dentists because it's really hard for me to get them to understand that what we do before work, What we do as far as waking up, are we journaling, are we meditating, are we exercising? It's hard for them to understand that sweating before work is a money-making activity because if we show up into the workplace with our nervous system fired up and firing, it makes us a better leader. It helps with goodwill, it helps with case acceptance. If we go in there dragging with the case of the Mondays and stumbling late to the morning huddle, guess what's gonna happen to the team? It's leadership by example they're not going to be an energetic. So, controlling who you are when you walk into the dental office is very important. You can't you have to give yourself the ability, the capacity to be able to work the days, to be the CEO, to be the CMO, to be the clinician, to be the driver of case acceptance. All of that is a mighty task, and if you're not taking care of yourself, then you find out you find yourself in the burnout zone or the boredom zone. Both are very dangerous if we're gonna try and have our best year every year and get our practice to accelerate. What we don't want is this game where we're just doing more and grinding and hustling and more and more and more. We're not designed for that. We need to simplify our lives and figure out what needs to be delegated, what needs to be eliminated, but also expand our capacities by expanding our energy so that we can be more on a continual basis. And there's a science behind that. There's a recording from the last session that dives into uh, how do we really perpetuate and expand our energy sets. But for today's topic is courage. And taking just a step back briefly, we have to know what sort of dentist we, we want to be. And you can categorize yourself in a second just by looking at this. This is, this is driven by psychology, positive psychology, human nature, human behavior, organizational psychology, all stuff that I spent a lot of time researching. And this is where I see most dentists. So a dentist that would be on a typical meeting is an exhausted dentist. Essentially, an exhausted dentist is chasing purpose and they're chasing income and they're chasing more and better and going faster and harder and they feel really unfulfilled because they're not sprinkling any any enjoyment, any pleasure. They're not having fun in the workplace. And so if we can get the purpose and the pleasure aligned, we end up with this kind of boundless energy where we can have more and be more and do more on a continual basis. This is a whole nother topic, probably a day-long topic about how do we align pleasure and purpose to make sure this all plays out favorable for us that we can have the impact that we want through dentistry. but see where you're at currently on this grid And if it's not over here in the upper right, we have to change the game or we end up again in the burnout zone or the boredom zone. Neither one of those is good for our business, neither one of is good for our identity. neither one of is good for neither one of them is good for our fulfillment. To go a little bit deeper into this just so you understand the full picture, is the entitled dentists, they just take chase pleasure. I don't know many of these but I run across across them on occasion. These are the dentists that think because they're a dentist, because they have a dental license that a certain salary, a certain amount of time off, it should be and they're entitled to that sort of stuff. A certain lifestyle they're entitled to because they've jumped through the hoops to become a dentist. The dentists who really win at this game know that the dental license is just the golden ticket, the ticket to entry. And what you do with that license, what you do with your practice, is really up to you. And there's unlimited opportunity available there. The emotionless dentists usually they've bounced around between chasing pleasure and purpose, and they finally end up in this kind of nihilistic behavior where they're like, forget it. They're just kind of pissed off, and they go through the motions. And they start to work at a factory and they become prisoners of their own making, which is their dental practice. So this is a high-level overview that really explains positive psychology. Clearly, as a coach, I want to get all dentists into the, the place where we're synergizing pleasure and purpose. But that takes some work. That takes some clarity, energy, courage, all these things that we talk about in these discussions. Um, and we, it really goes back to what are we ritualizing and what is becoming habit? Because that's going back to how do we change a person? That's what changes the beliefs, the stories and the identity. So, um, that's a high level overview, kind of a fire hose approach to human psychology, but that gets at why some dentists can work and work and work and why they don't have breakthroughs is because their stories, belief and, and, um, Identity are not allowing them to get to the next level. Sometimes they think they don't deserve it. Sometimes it's because of social norms that they saw growing up, uh, conversations about money around the dinner table. A lot of things can impact that. But if we start looking for limiting beliefs, start removing the limiting beliefs and start imposing powerful habits behind these seven habits of high-performing dentists, then... (laughs) the breakthroughs really start to happen. And again, that's leveraging mother nature and not working against it, which can kind of be a byproduct of the um, grit, hustle, grind mode that I see a lot of folks in. So I mentioned that this isn't just my theory. I spend a lot of time talking to dentists, asking them difficult questions. Some of that's through the Realness Dentist podcast some of that is in this book, Titans of Dentistry, Titans of Dentistry that Dr. Justin Short and I released um, last October, I think. But the thing, the differentiator that I see again and again and again of dentists that have incredible practice and incredible lives is that they're willing to enter places, do things that they're not fully equipped for. That takes courage. That's stepping outside the comfort zone. Sometimes that's a leadership conversation. Sometimes that's a collision with a team member. Sometimes that's an acquisition of a new practice. Sometimes that's an expansion. Sometimes that's a development of a new skill set or a procedure mix. But the dentists who are stuck aren't willing to go there into that courageous place a lot of times. And they're wondering, they're needing one more piece of data, one more weekend CE, And therefore, it really slows down their progress or it halts it altogether. And I see this again and again. So to reiterate, the thing that I see that defines dentists who are kind of seem like to be on a rocket ship is that they're willing to enter places that they're not fully equipped or ready for. And they have that, I'll do what's ever required, and I'll figure it out as I go along. And that, again, kind of defies some of the training that we've had as dentists. So we have to make peace with that. The other people that I've studied are the world's leading expert or I worked with as mentors is the world's leading expert on high performance and the world's leading expert on leadership. This is Brendan Burchard. If, if you're a Fortune 50 exec, if you're a, um, an Emmy Award winner, a Grammy winner, if your first name is Oprah or Usher, this is the guy you work with and he's taught me a lot. This is his take on courage. He says, courage is the ability to have faith, persistence, and strength in the face of fear, pain, and stress. Have faith today, keep persisting towards your dreams because we need you. The world needs more people with a courageous heart. So that's really important that we define courage. A lot of people think that those that are making big progress are fearless. And that's not necessarily true. When you ask them the questions that I've asked them, they act in spite of the fear. They know that fear will always be there. And sometimes it's actually a cue to the thing that you most need to do. Um, I, there's a quote that I had at the bottom of my dental town signature that was by Tim Ferriss that said, the thing you most fear is usually the thing that you most need to do. And I've kind of taken that to heart. Meaning like when I started my podcast, that was the scariest thing I could think of getting online, broadcasting myself as an introvert, um, reaching out to people that I highly respected. I even had to explain what what a podcast was. And that was hard for me. But as a byproduct of that, it's provided me with incredible opportunities, incredible friendships, incredible connections. If I look back five years and think about me not having to do that, I can't even imagine what my life would, how, how different my life would be, and that's not in a positive direction. So um, knowing that the fear will always be there and developing a skill set or mindset that allows us to continually push forward despite that fear is very important and one that I see, I find to be, uh, to be honest, to be quite rare amongst dentists. So this is a way to separate yourself from a pack. And I'll explain how to do that at a micro level and how to make that a habitual game that you can expand upon as time goes on. This is the other guy I was talking about. If you've read anything on leadership, the book was either written by or influenced by John C. Maxwell, most likely. He says your life expands in proportion to your courage. Fear limits the leader. Now, when I'm coaching dentists, this is usually what has them stuck in that they aren't speaking up for themselves. They're not sharing what they believe the direction of the practice should be. They're trying to start that people make sure everyone's happy on the team. And that is never a winning proposition because if you're trying to make everyone happy, you're usually catering to your bottom performers on the team. And if you listen to Dave Ramsey, he says that donkeys don't like hanging out with thoroughbreds and thoroughbreds don't like like hanging out with donkeys. So, What you need to be doing is reinforcing, rewarding, supporting, training your thoroughbreds so that they can help you win. And over time, the culture develops. You hire somebody who is a misfit for your mission and values, and the team will tell you within weeks, like, hey, they're not a fit. I had this happen to me twice in 2018. I was fully invested in the new hire. The team said, this isn't going to work. They don't think like we do and the culture became an immune system, and it made the separation with the new hire very easy. It just came down to a conversation of, listen, you don't want what we want, we don't want what you got, and we're better off uh, if we part paths early, because this is is not a win-win situation. So let's get down into strategy. This is one of the most important things that I've learned in the last five years. It's so important that as a father, my son and I have regular conversations about this. And it's a lack of understanding is what kept me stuck. And it keeps a lot of my colleagues stuck. And well, let me just talk you through this. You have to understand any dentist that comes to me, any dentist that comes to a meeting, any dentist that goes to CE is essentially asking for confidence. It doesn't matter if it's practice management, it doesn't matter if it's clinical, what they are seeking is confidence. But how do we get there? Well, I call this the confidence flywheel because as I explain it, you'll see how this starts to perpetuate itself and build momentum over time and confidence becomes easier and easier to bring into your life. So when we're starting with something, we need to know what our objective is. So going back to the part of the original conversation, clarity is answering these questions. What do I want? Why do I want it? And who do I have to become to get it? Once we know that, then it's time to make the next move. So this is phase one, clarity and commitment. A lot of dentists don't know what they want. And Sometimes they know what they want, but they're not committed. And so they'll bounce around, they'll dabble in this and that. And the other thing, as opposed to going all in and becoming the implant guy, investing in comb beam technology, they just are spending their time looking for a home run when the answer is really in hitting singles, loading the bases and getting RBI. So this first phase is where a lot of dentists will get tripped up and where a lot of them will find a path to misery because if they don't know what they want, Their vision can easily get hijacked by their team, by patients, they're trying to be everything to everyone, which is again, never a winning game. So phase one is the first kind of part that you need to get through and you have to define what you want being crystal clear. And this isn't gonna happen in one sitting. It's a process that you can develop over time days and weeks spent on this. This should just be part of what you're doing, journaling, figuring out, is this what I want? Am I this getting closer or further away from my goals? Then the next step is commitment. Sometimes that's a hire. Sometimes, again, that's a purchase opportunity. Sometimes that's an expansion opportunity. But realize after phase one, phase two is usually kind of a messy place. And dentists hate this because they love precision. They love to be exact. They love to have predictable outcomes. And clinical rewards this, but leadership, entrepreneurship, life a lot of times, rewards this. So clinical dentistry will sometimes punish you taking these courageous steps. I think I misspoke there, but the other things reward this. So we have to realize what hat we have on and knowing that courage and giving ourselves permission to suck at a new task, is integral to us gaining confidence. Go way back to the first time you prepped, uh, say an occlusal, or the first time you rode a bike, the first time you walked. You weren't good at it. What made you good at it was the repetitions, was the frequency. So this, this phase two down on the bottom left, the giving yourself permission to suck knowing that it's gonna be rocky at first, but if you stick with it, if you get the reps, if you get the frequency, then comes the confidence. And once you figure out this formula to get confidence, you can speed it up over time because being a confident leader creates wins in the practice, which gives you immediate feedback, which allows you to take more courageous moves, more bold moves, more calculated risks. Same thing on the clinical side, where say you're adding a new procedure, maybe it's 3D printing, you're not going to be good at it at first. In fact, I just had a client send me a picture of his first design of a, of a digital night guard, and it was a mess, right? But that's just that's just a known. And so, dentists hate this, and they'll either get stuck in phase one where they don't know where they want, and they'll start to just be interested and dabble, or phase two where they don't want to, they don't want to stink at the thing, and so therefore they don't have the monthly meeting that they know they should have and it really slows down the progress. So knowing that this is a this is an inevitable game if we're going to build our confidence and our skill sets and mindsets is very at least for me freeing. Once I knew that I'm going to have to step way outside my comfort zone to start implement implementing things and on the far side of that is the confidence. It became a lot easier and again it just gets more empowering, more fun, more energizing more predictable as time goes on for me because um, I understand this loop and I'm happy to enter in that and give myself um, permission to suck, permission to be uncomfortable for amount of time until I can develop the skill set, get the frequency and start performing with confidence. I'll pause really quickly on this because I want to make sure this is, this is, This can set a lot of people free if they fully understand it. Is there any questions that anyone has about strategy one before we move on to strategy two? All right, I'll pause again at the end for any questions if they should come up. Strategy two, so stay with me here. Think about something that you're currently scared of, something that you know that you should do. It might be a business move, it might be a conversation uh, with one of your team members, it might be a conversation with a patient, it might be a conversation with your spouse. Now, why are you avoiding it? Usually that second question is very difficult to articulate because it becomes this mass of all the things that could happen, right? Conquering our fears becomes a lot easier when you can label them and define them. And what keeps us moving forward is usually three types of fears. Now these are categories, we can get a little bit more specific, but this will help you along in this journey in defining your fears so that you can get past them and know what the dragging that you're fighting is, what, what its name, what it's like, what, what, how it behaves, what, it, what is the worst case scenario? Is it even that bad? what is the likelihood that it's going to come about? So the first one that people avoid is process pain. Now process pain is very obvious. Like if I buy the new practice and I create a merger, what am I going to, what are those new team going to think of me? Is Is the new patients going to accept the way that I treatment plan? All those sorts of things, that's process pain. That's the idea that I wanna run the marathon, but I know it's gonna take a lot of hours, a lot of sweat, a lot of early mornings, a lot of lost sleep, a lot of training to get to that outcome. So that seems painful. That, there's a lot of process pain involved there. I think I'll avoid it. So that's the obvious one, right? The other two are a little less obvious. The second common fear is loss pain. So if I move forward, if I take this bold action, what will I lose? Sometimes the fear is the support of your team. Sometimes the fear, I I commonly run across this as the support of the spouse. In my case, when I moved from North Carolina to Colorado, it was a risky move. I didn't have the support of my father, who was a, a mentor to me. And that didn't feel good. And so that made me start to second think all, I sort of have second thoughts about all these things that I'd essentially made a decision on, right? And so what the, the fear of what will I lose if all of my hopes and all this action comes into fruition is something that needs defined in a lot of cases. The third one is outcome pain, meaning what if I do all this work, everything happens exactly like I plan, and the grass isn't greener? It's, the outcomes aren't what I thought it would be. So you have these three main categories that keep people stuck all of the time. Process pain, outcome pain, and loss pain. Now, you can get a lot more specific, but understanding what you're really fearing, defining that as opposed to letting it be this like dark mass that's in your way and keeps you from move, moving forward. Sometimes that's just sitting down with a pen and paper or journal and saying like, What am I really scared of here? And you get it all put on paper and you're like, really? Like that's that's not as big as I made it out to be. So naming it, defining it, categorizing it can help you take a next step because usually, especially in 2019, where things are rapidly moving, safe becomes the new risky. You can't just rest on your laurels. You have to constantly be innovating and staying stuck in our fears, not moving forward, can be worse than the outcomes of moving forward. And so figuring out ways to name the dragon and slay the dragon can, as you can see, really accelerate your progress. So that's strategy two. Any questions before I move on to strategy three? Good. So, this one, I named the, the this slide present, this um, courage presentation, courage over comfort. And I think this is an important discovery for most people, because this can set you free in a lot of ways. Because when we think of courage, we usually think of a bold action. And I was even speaking of a lot of bold actions. But... Think of courage as an opportunity available in every single decision you make. Is there ever a time in the day where you should praise a team member and you don't do it because it makes you feel awkward and that's just not you? Is there ever a time during a day when you know the patient doesn't want to hear about the crack in number 30 and therefore you kind of gloss around it and you talk about the stress fracture fracture that you'll check on at the next visit? Is there ever a time when you look at an x-ray and you know that you should diagnose treatment, but you're tired, it's the end of the day. Again, the patient is arms crossed. They don't want to hear about it. They want a clean bill of health and you avoid it. What I'm saying is every single decision that you make during the day can be seen as a step forward into courage or back into comfort. Now hear me out because What's the compound effect if we're constantly taking the courageous move? And what are the payoffs over time? What does that look like over the course of a day, a week, a month, a quarter, a year? Now, conversely, think about what's the compound effect if we're always stepping back into comfort? What is the compound effect of that over a day, a week, a month, a quarter? Now that's not a difference of one, that's a difference of two per decision because you started here, you could have moved forward into courage or back into comfort. And the compound effect of that, of you not making courage a habit, can massively limit your life, limit your practice, limit your ability to lead a practice, limit your ability to create goodwill and case acceptance in the practice, which is the main objective of a practice. Every single habit that we have has a trigger. Now, you probably have something that you do. You wake up in the morning at a certain time and the first thing you do is probably something else, right? We can use fear as a trigger to retreat, but you could also do a 180 and use fear as a trigger to move forward. And it's really hard to do that at a massive level if we're not in the game and doing some strength and conjecture Conditioning exercises, having that little collision with the hygienist because she 's not running on time, having the little conversation with the patient because they 're constantly an irritant to your front desk on phone calls and they 're always pointing out why they shouldn 't have a copay or why your schedule is inconvenient, and all those sorts of things that those little small moves stack up over time, and it puts you in that confidence loop that we talked about before, and so you don't have to see courage as this like big move. It doesn't have to be the $500,000 acquisition. It can be seen as every decision. It can can be seen as taking that step, having that conversation when you don't feel like it. Like a lot of dentists I talk to are like, yeah, I think about it, it gets to the end of the day. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I just wanna go home and it festers, right? What if you just stopped and said, it's my obligation to deal with this today and how do you feel after that? Is it gonna continue to build confidence? Because I don't know you, but I know me is when I back down from a challenge, I don't feel very good about myself. And when I take on a challenge, I feel good. And so that's what starts to perpetuate our courage and our confidence and allows us to have our best year every year, allows us to grow our beliefs and our identities. And all organizations take on the behavior of its leader and you can see where this whole thing goes because now you're expanding the capacity of your practice, the capacity of your team, the, the value that you're adding to patients, and that all trickles down to the bottom line, which adds to your lifestyle. So this, this can be a conversation that a lot of people want to avoid because they want one more bell and one more whistle and one more procedure, and they want think that the way out is the technician side. It's not, it's in leadership, And the hardest person to lead is yourself. And to lead yourself and take control of your thoughts and your actions and develop your mindsets and skill sets is the most valuable thing that you can do. And if you don't have a strategy for it, if you're not stepping out of your comfort zone, if you're not using fear as a trigger to move forward, you're just slowing down the progress that you really want. So I wanna share with you a quote from Brene Brown. She is a fantastic author authenticity, vulnerability, courage are all things that we hear a lot about. She was the first person that I remember talking about it on a big level. And I'm I'm glad she did because it's unlocked a lot of things for me. Courage over comfort is actually a motto we have in our practice. And so I'll hear my team sometimes say like, I didn't want to do it, but I chose courage over comfort. That's As a leader, that's so fun to see them start to make bold moves, them start to have conversations that they wouldn't normally, and see how that affects their patient care, and moreover, how that starts to affect their life. Again, super super fulfilling for me. But back to the quote, integrity is choosing courage over comfort. It's choosing what is right over what is fun, fast or easy. It's choosing to practice your values rather than simply professing them. So courage is involved in just walking the talk. It's involved in not being a hypocrite. It's, involving in keeping, it's involved in keeping promises yourself, which again will build your identity and build your confidence. So again, I think courage becomes this colossal word and we're like, gosh, that's a big leap that I have to take here. No, it doesn't have to be because you have hundreds of opportunities during a day to be courageous. And the more you d- develop that, the better off you and your practice will be. So let me summarize before I take any final questions. And this is something that I see again and again in dentists. When I am speaking to a group of dentists, I usually ask how many of you would classify yourself as people pleasers? And usually 90 plus percent raise their hand. But the one thing I can say for sure is that people pleasing is gonna kill practice growth, right? You have to have the courage to define the mission and defend the mission. Now it's hard to do because it goes back to the clarity piece that we just talked about, right? It's hard to execute on because we have to be very specific. But let me tell you, team members are wanting this. They may may give you resistance initially because everyone hates change, but once they start to see the breakthroughs of alignment, once they start to see how much easier it makes their job. Once you give them a skill set to be able to make decisions because it either aligns with the practice missions and the values or it doesn't, they start to feel their job expand, their autonomy increase. People love that. That's giving them something that's not a paycheck. That's giving them something that they can't get just anywhere. And that increases your culture. That increases your practice's ability to produce and add value. But... Again, if you're just people pleasing, you're usually catering to the bottom third of the practice as far as performance. And what does that do? That irritates your A players and it brings them down. They say C players make A players, B players. That is so true. So keep in mind that, as Dave Ramsey said, I mentioned before that thoroughbreds and donkeys don't like to hang out with one another, that you're really encouraging your thoroughbreds. You're trying to get people on the bus. Now, I feel like hiring somebody is a commitment to their success. But if you want their success more than they want their success, that's a losing game too. And so, you need to figure out what is the roadmap? How are we all going to get in the boat and start rowing on the, in the same direction? Giving them a target. Now, I talk to a lot of dentists who get frustrated and I dig around and I ask some questions and this is what they're frustrated and, and listen to how insane this sounds, but it happens all the time. It happened in my practice for a long time. Dentists are frustrated because team members won't get them what they want, but they don't know what they want. So the team members goes around and does what they think is right. And then they get chastised because the dentist is always on in fault finding mode, right? Because you've never given them the destination. They're Playing blindfolded archery. They're trying to hit targets that they can't see if you give them targets They can see then they can start to hit them with predictability Last thing This is actually a quote from Mark Twain and it goes back to something I mentioned before Use fear as a trigger to move forward not a trigger to retreat if you're feeling resistance push into that resistance have a breakthrough That wall is there to keep certain people out. But if you are resourceful and have figured out a way to get under, through it, over it, around it, you'll have uncommon success. But it requires what we talked about before, a willingness to step in places that you're not fully prepared for. You can't stay in the how, 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 what's the recipe? What's the rule book? I need the exact formula with a lot of this stuff. You have to move and figure it out because sometimes, you don't know step eight until you're on step seven. And if you don't engage in the process and be willing to bump into a few walls, you won't have breakthroughs. So if you start doing the things that you fear, the death of fear is certain. And there'll always be another challenge. There'll always be another fear. But if you systemize, if you figure out ways to figure out what your limiting beliefs are, figure out what's keeping you stuck, replace that with, powerful skill sets, mindsets, habits, and rituals, you can have your best year every year. And as a coach, that's, my, that's the outcome I want for all dentists because it doesn't have to be this hit and miss entrepreneurial game. If you figure out how to lead you, if you figure out how to be courageous, this is something that can be a very predictable outcome, but you have to rely on mother nature and you have to do research-based things And everything that I kind of sermonize on is stuff that's been defined by research. It works as much in CEOs as it does dentists, as it does any walk of life um, because it's human nature. So I'll, I'll pause one more time for questions to go over any of the content. I hope you see why courage is such a critical skill. You probably can see within yourself and within your colleagues how it's keeping a lot of them stuck. So uh, share with me any feedback, any thoughts, questions you have. You've talked about the importance of your staff speaking up about staff members that they don't feel are good, but how do you give them the courage to approach you about that? Um, that is a byproduct of what I call meeting rhythm. So I would say in my practice there's four main types of meetings, I'll go over them very briefly. There's an annual meeting. At the annual meeting we define, the mission is always defined, it never changes, it's, never, it's unchanging as defined by me 10 years ago but we use that as the compass. I let the team define the values. That immediately I get buy-in because it's not my roadmap, it's their roadmap. They're telling me what they want from the practice. And it goes down to people sometimes will say, how do I know what my team wants? You ask them what they want. I, I ask them, I know you're here for a paycheck. I know that you want to make an income so they're comfortable, that you can pay your bills, all that sort of stuff. But what is it outside the income that's important to you in a practice? What would have you feeling energized to come to work in the morning and leave you feeling fulfilled at the end of the day? And they give me this checklist and we hone it down and we create a values- System and a culture that sets the sales for the rest of the year. So that's the most important meeting. But we lose sight of that if we don't have regular check-ins. We have a monthly meeting that we revisit. That we have an after-action review. So we just had one for our March uh, for our m- March monthly meeting. We would say what went well in February, what didn't go so well in February, what do we need to focus on in March? How aligned are we with the values? and they'll kind of do a check-in, and it's getting that level of engagement. In a meeting, I just consider my myself a facilitator, and I want a very horizontal management structure, and once they find out that I mean that, that I really want them to not be a follower, but a leader, that I give them autonomy and a certain department to run in the practice, you get that investment, so they speak up. The other t- two meetings, lots of Lots of dentists have huddles. We bring this stuff up in our huddles and we revisit it and celebrate the mission and the values and the culture when we're really executing and exceeding expectations on that. And then the fourth one is the, what I call 10-10s. 10-10s is simply meaning that every quarter we have a 20-minute meeting, one-on-one with me. They have 10 minutes. I have 10 minutes. And we just go into feedback. And before that... I have them self-evaluate on all the fine points of the values, mission, and culture. And so I'm constantly getting their feedback and I stopped evaluating. I have them evaluate themselves because nobody likes that meeting where it feels like judgment day and they're walking in to hear what they're doing good and what they're not doing good. I just ask them, what, how do they wanna challenge themselves? How do they wanna grow for the next 90 days? And once they know they have a voice, once they know that they're kind of expected to be a leader, once they know that they're given autonomy, once they know that there's psychological safety, meaning that they can speak up, they can ask their dumb question and it's not chastised that they can make mistakes of ambition as opposed to mistakes of apathy, that we actually encourage that because that means that we're pushing the cumbersome. You start to see the best of them where they're not just coming in as renters, they're punching a, uh, they're punching a time clock to get a paycheck. You start to see that and I I believe that people long for that. They just have never, a lot of times they've never seen it and so you have to give them the structure where they can really spread their wings and know that they have your support and that there isn't going to be any yelling or eye-rolling or, you know, comments if they make mistakes. As long as they know what we stand for as a practice and they're doing their best effort, I always support them. They make human mistakes just like I do, but it all goes back to, that term psychological safety? Do they have, have, has the organization, the culture given them permission to voice their opinion, good or bad, and create ways to constantly improve their work environment? Um, and, I, and all I ask from them is don't bring me problems without a solution. And if they can come with a problem and a proposed solution two or three, we can implement it right away and quickly make change. That's a fun game to be in and it allows them to be more lead more have more of a say and therefore their investment level in the practice and its outcomes is much more all right well thank you for your time as you can tell this is one of my favorite topics because i know personally and i've seen it in other dentists that once we can figure out this courage piece life becomes a lot easier we just have to step into the unknown step outside of our comfort zone and figure out how to develop that muscle over time because it just gets easier and easier. Once we know how this game is played, it's probably, I don't want to say the most important because all these habits kind of start to synergize, but if I could teach every dentist to understand the game of courage and the massive payoffs for not stepping into the comfort zone, for not getting too comfortable, Um, I think there would be a lot more fulfillment going full circle. It's a key ingredient to us growing our practice, to being a good leader and aligning that pleasure and purpose so that dentistry is being everything that we can be, uh, allowing us to have the impact that it should have, allow us allow it to be a vehicle for all of our hopes and dreams and providing for our families and our communities um, it's a, it's a very important topic that I hear talked about in dentistry, almost not at all. So um, if I can ever be a resource for you, please let me know. Lila, thank you very much. I really appreciate Equa Marketing and them organizing and creating a system for this. Um, again, it's a very important topic that I think is understated in dentistry, but once dentists embrace that It's not just the clinical, it's not just running a smart practice and focusing on the numbers. It's really leading themselves and it can be really simplified into six or seven categories and having little micro breakthroughs again and again that it can lead to uncommon results and ignoring that keeps them stuck or makes things way harder than it needs to be. So again, this was Naren from Equal Marketing's idea to start this and it's been really fun for me to really define and refine the messaging so that it, it's ready for groups of people and not just one-on-one coaching that, that I uh, typically do. I hope you can see the importance of it. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me at dr.dave at relentlessdennis.com. I post a daily uh, one minute, what I call Maloli minute on Instagram every day. You can check that out. The podcast is on iTunes and we will be back here again on April 5th. The topic next time will be productivity. Now, let me tell you a little bit about productivity because typically dentists have a definition for productivity that doesn't necessarily align with my definition. Productivity in dentistry, as you know, is commonly like, how much dentistry did we produce? How much value did we add to patients during the day? So it's usually a dollar figure. Productivity is getting things done, but it's also making sure that we're doing the right things, and I believe the happiest dentists that I know believe that the practice is an engine to provide us for a robust life, the impact, the purpose, all these things we talk about, the lifestyle, the vacations, the ability to provide for our kids, all these sorts of things, but the practice should not be the central figure in our life. We just had a, converse, I had a John, conversation with John Wesley and some of his buddies last night about if our identity becomes so attached to being a dentist and our dental practice, What happens when that goes away? What happens when there's a cash flow issue? What happens when there's a dip in the productivity of the practice? It affects our identity, it doesn't have to be that way. So productivity is also making sure that you're scheduling time for yourself. Maybe it's day night with your spouse. Maybe it's time alone with each one of your kids. These sorts of things need to be scheduled because we only have one ticket. And a lot of this regret game when we look at people at the end of their days is them not staying connected to friends, not staying connected with family. Going back to courage, the number one regret of the dying is that I wish I would have had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others dictated for me. And so if we're not purposeful, if we're not aligning our life and our practice so that it gives us energy, not this tug of war, this, this work-life balance thing I hear about all the time, then we look back and regret. We look back and wonder why we're not fulfilled, why we're so exhausted. These are the breakthroughs that people can have when they get alignment and understand what really drives human behavior on a personal level and a leadership level. So I just like to put a little asterisk by productivity because some people think that I'm just gonna talk about how to to, uh, squeeze more procedures into the day. That's part of it, but it's certainly not, it's a fraction of the definition, and we'll dive into that again uh, at a deeper level on April 5th. So, Lila, thank you so much for setting this up. We love your feedback. Um, I love feedback, positive or negative. I use it to get better. Um, I, I, I thrive on it in the practice. I love the reviews, they fuel me and they always, uh, candid feedback always gives us a chance, an outside eye on how to get better. All right Lila, thank you so much. Dr. Zane, Dr. Wesley, soon to be Dr. Gores, and everyone listening to this on recording. Uh, I really appreciate it. Again, reach out to me if you have any questions about this content. I'm super passionate about it and I know that helping dentists understand that will lead to breakthroughs in their lives and practice. So I never get tired of talking about it more, so don't hesitate to ask questions or reach out.